0: You're listening to the Speechy Side Up Podcast, and today I'm joined by our very first SLPA, otherwise known as a speech-language pathology assistant, Jillian Yudin. In this episode, we discuss the relationship between SLPs and SLPAs, what SLPAs can do in therapy, and her tips for fellow SLPAs.
1: You're listening to the Speechy Side Up Podcast. This podcast will cover the flip side of traditional speech and language therapy so you get inspired and learn from experts in the field. Here is your host, author, AAC specialist, and matcha tea lover, Vanita Litvak. She and her guests are serving up some informative and fun topics in Speechy Side Up.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Speechy Side Up podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment. You can also follow along on Instagram at Speechy SpeechySideUp. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Today, I'm speaking with Jillian Newton, otherwise known as the Mindful Speechy. Jillian is a speech language pathology assistant who is here to share more about the role of SLPAs in therapy and how they can work collaboratively with certified speech language pathologists. Hey, Jillian. Hey, Thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Let's help the listeners to get to know you better. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do today, and how you got there.
1: Sounds good. Well, thank you again for having me on. I'm very excited. So I've been a slipper. For almost, I think, 10 years. I can't believe it's been that long. And a little background about myself is, as a SLEPA, I've been afforded the opportunity to work in a variety of different environments. I started off at a private clinic when I was going through school, and I was working with the zero to three population for early intervention. I also worked mainly with um, children on the spectrum and other language disabilities, And I was also able to do social skills group there. I also worked and did parent trainings, presentations for professionals from directors to BCBAs. And then when I switched more into the school-based field, I was able to work with a variety of different populations as well. So I worked at two different MPSs. An MPS is a non-public school that a lot of children who got kicked out of their regular districts due to severity of disabilities, aggression, other mental disorders. So I was working with the elementary all the up to high school. I also am trained, my name is Mindful Speechy. I'm trained in mindfulness and I use that in a variety of not only my one on one sessions, but my social skills groups as well. I help train the parents and my kids I work with. Um, they have to have a better understanding of how their body and their mind works together to in order to learn the information that you're giving them. And I also am trained in uh, the UCLA peers program. So I also run those programs with a couple of other professionals and I have my master's in special education. Um, I've tried to get into grad school for the last couple of years, but it's been so impacted even with my background and my experience. I've had a, a big trouble getting in. So I deviated for a little bit, got my master's in special education, but in my heart, speech is where it's at. So I'm waiting to hear if I can get into a grad program in the next couple months.
0: Oh, yay. Well, I'll be keeping my fingers crossed for you. Thank you. And isn't that interesting? Like you got your master's in special education, but I think the field of speech language pathology and the graduate programs in general are really tough to
1: get into, right? Yeah, it's 100% kind of if... You know, they have these bridging programs now, which when I went back to get my post back in communicative disorders, um, they didn't have it. So, you know, a bridging program is where you can take your post back or your bachelor's program, and then you get filtered into the master's program. Because they didn't have that um, five or six years ago, or it might have been longer than that when I did that program, then you had to reapply to the master's program. And I grew up with a learning disability, so tests are not my strong suit, but that I think is what they look at a lot of the times, even with our experience in speech. And it's not just with someone with a SLP background, but it could also be someone in the communicative disorders background trying to get into their master's program. So yeah, it's really interesting, you know, that there's our field is so vast and it needs really a lot of different types of SLPs. Um, there's so many people that are retiring, and a lot of the people that have that passion can't get into the program. So.
0: Yeah, and, you know, you have to make that sacrifice, too, if you want to really get into school, you may have to transplant to another part of the country.
1: Where are you located? So I uh, live in Orange County, California. Okay.
0: Yeah. A beautiful place.
1: Yes. (laughs) It's gorgeous today. I went and did the morning makeover. I went on a hike this morning to get ready for this uh, podcast.
0: Awesome. I'm so glad you're part of that challenge. Yeah. If anybody is listening and they're not really sure what that is or what we were just talking about, type BSLP Abby and I created a challenge called SLP Morning Makeover. You can find the group on Facebook and we started it at the beginning of June of 2019, but I think we're going to keep it open. So if you're wanting to join at any time, you can definitely do that. Little side note, but I want to learn more about, so is SLIPA the proper term?
1: Yeah. So, okay. I, perfect. I always say slipper, but a lot of people don't know what that means. Not just in our field, but when I say it out in the real world, they're like, "What is a slipper?" But yeah, you can just—it's just too long to say. Speech language pathologist assistant.
0: I hear you. Yeah. No, I've definitely heard that term, so I want to make sure I'm using the right one. I like that better anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the role of slippers as outlined by Asha. What does their scope of practice say?
1: So as a slipper and they keep changing it as the in our world gets you know more vast and 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 there's more slippers and they understand what our responsibilities can do. So a slippa, For any SLPs that don't have that those on their you know in their clinics or at the district or have ever worked with a SLPA, we can do a lot. What we can't do is we can't test, we can't make recommendations, we can't really talk to parents about anything besides what we did in therapy. But we can run groups, we can work with clients one on one, we can make materials. I think in the beginning, like ten years ago, when we first got started. Some SLPs felt that we were more the quote, the assistant, so we they did more clerical work, which is we can do that, we can make schedules, we can help you with paperwork and things like that. But we are have so much skills and knowledge that a lot of the programs, the SLPA programs, are changing. So that when we come to you know an SLP and, and be put on their caseload, um, and, and under their supervision, we are able to have a conversation with them about what we see in each child, never making recommendations, like I said, or voicing those to anyone besides our supervisor. But we can go into therapy with the mindset that we are going to see what that child needs, look at the goals and create lessons. Great.
0: I love that you're on because I think it's really important for you know, therapists or people that are in their undergrad at this point, I don't know how many of those we actually have listening to this podcast, but if we do for them to consider, you know, is it worth, you know, going to graduate school? Like, do I want to be able to do those evaluations or do I want to work just with the client? And, you know, (laughs) I was always like going back and forth. I was like, man, was it worth all of that money to go to graduate school? Because I worked in a private practice and the slippers that were there, they were fantastic. Right. Like, one of them was like a better therapist than I was. She was so good with the kids. And, you know, like she got, she got paid pretty well and right. she like was just so good. So I it, think it's very important. Like if it is a financial struggle to make graduate school work, yeah, it might not. Be
1: a bad route to go. Yeah, and also the only downside I would say as being a slepa is a lot of if you try to get into the districts and you don't have connections. And and this is just for California, so I don't know how state by state there are different criteria. Even the programs for slepas and what you need and how to become a slepa are different in each each state. So you have to look that up, especially if you're going to transfer. It's almost when an SLP transfers to a different state. But my program was a two-year program. But if you have your bachelor's in communicative disorders, some programs now are adding a couple extra classes to get your SLPA license. So that's kind of where our, you know, SLP speech world is going. SLPAs don't make as much money. So if you do want full-time or you're not afforded a private practice that hires you as a SLPA, that is one of the, you know, could be a downfall. Um, if you're not looking to make a a great amount of money um, but you just love the field and you just have a passion for it. So you're right you have to look at what you want and can you be a, a slipper and just work with the students and have a great reputation and and you know collaborate with all different types of professionals or are you the type of person who wants to be in charge and make those decisions and and go to IEPs and create you know, goals and recommendations and, and have your own practice or work in the district. So it's just kind of what internally drives you and what you see down the future and the road for you. And the neat thing is you don't have to decide right now. You can decide later on and, and have that in in the back of your head.
0: Absolutely. So your program was two years. That seems like a long time. Were you
1: able to start working before it was finished? Yeah. So I was lucky. I was kind of, you know, not the normal slipper. And actually I'm not as normal as I am right now because I'm just being able to do so many different things. But yeah, so I worked as a behavioral interventionist at the same company I was going to get hired at as a slipper. And so while I was in school, I was able to work in the speech department, almost like a speech aid because you don't have to have your license for that. And I could do go to school go into the speech department, do behavioral therapy while I completed that program. And that is if you don't have your background or your bachelor's in communicative disorders. If you do have your bachelor's in, in that field, you just have to do a semester and do one class and do hours, and then you can get your a license.
0: Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Because I think here in Florida, I had my a license for a brief period of time because I had gotten a job after I graduated, mm-hmm. but my certification hadn't come in yet. And so in <laughs> order to start, they were like, you need to become a slip And so thankfully it worked out. Like, I think I got certified the day or I, oh. I received my clinical fellowship mm-hmm. license, um, the day that I like started. So I didn't in- end up even needing the assistant, but it worked out. Well, then you're part of us
1: a little bit. Yeah, so. a little bit. And I also did behavior therapy. So we have a pretty similar background. Yeah, this it sounds like it. I think that behavioral therapy, no matter if you're Slippa or an SLP, I think was hands down the best decision I made. And it was just because I, I got hired at a behavioral company for speech. But when I went back to my SLPA program, when we were talking about our clinicals, that was the biggest concern that my other SLPA students had, where they would th- be thrown in to therapy with, with children and adults that had behaviors and didn't know how to handle it and, and manage it. And and luckily I was trained and had like a week training on behavior. So I was able to use, and I still use that every day in therapy and not in therapy. So I feel like it's just a bonus, like the up program. And I think the SLP program really needs to have a couple classes or something on behavioral. Absolutely. You're right. And you just have such a,
0: like, Vast background of experiences, so I you you would be a significant asset to our field, and I just hope that you get into grad school because oh, we'd love you. to have you.
1: <laughs> you. I know I did get into a program. I got into Emerson. with um their first semester or first you know a program uh, last August, but it was an online program because I have to work full time. However, their online program was geared to more East Coast, and because I live on the West Coast, all their classes were in the middle of my day. I just couldn't afford to stop working for three to four hours a day to take their classes. So. Right. But I'm going to get in again. So,
0: <laughs> Yes, you will for sure. Keep us posted. I will. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to start a private practice or see a few clients privately? Maybe you thought about it, but you're not sure where to start. The thought of billing insurance or managing client schedules just seems way too overwhelming. I totally understand because recently I started to consider taking on private clients and got so intimidated by the whole scheduling and billing process. Around that same time, Fusion Web Clinic, a practice management software designed specifically for pediatric therapists, reached out to me to see if they could offer the listeners of this podcast, you, a promotional code. I wanted to check out the software before sharing it with you, and you guys, I was so impressed. A woman named Sarah walked me through the entire program, and apparently, they do that for every new client. The software appears to be really user friendly, and Sarah explained that what differentiates it from other EMR programs is that they offer unlimited support, no setup fees, and the software was developed by an OT and SLP who understand our field. If I do decide to go with an EMR system, it will definitely be Fusion Web Clinic. To learn more and check out Fusion's library of free resources, visit them online at fusionwebclinic.com slash up And if you sign up for a free demo of their software, mention Speechy Side Up to receive a $50 credit off your first month of Fusion. So what is the relationship between SLPs and Slippas and how can they work more co- collaboratively together?
1: Yeah, so... I was really lucky that my SLPs um, I had a great relationship. I love to collaborate even though I've been in this field for so long you never really want to get stagnant and uh, um, so I always had my you know supervisors come and watch my therapy I would talk to them almost every day probably annoyed some of them but I just wanted to make sure that what I was doing, was correct. And you also have to have another set of eyes on your clients. No matter what level you're at, it's always good to stand back and and see, okay, what am I missing? What do do I not see? And so the relationship between a SLPA and a SLP can be really good where they can sit down, you guys can have collaborative meetings. You can help the process of maybe helping them with eval so you can learn that side, um, watch their doing consultations, you know, and you don't want an SLP and a SLPA just to coexist. That's not kind of what our field is about, especially in in the therapy world. No matter if you're speech, OT, ABA, anything, you just need everyone to work together to to effectively figure out each and every client that you have. I know some SLPs and SLPAs that. Don't really mix, and the SLP gives the caseloads to the SLpas, and the SLpas do whatever they want, and there's no help, there's no supervision. I think that over the years, the standards and the practices have changed on what a SLpa can do and what an SLP can do. I think that there's still questions on what do I look what does it look like to supervise a SLpa, or as a SLpa, what can I talk to my supervisor about, or what can I do in therapy that's that's appropriate, that I won't get in trouble. So I think that when it comes down to it, you have to, when you first get hired, have a conversation with your supervisor as a SLEPA and lay out what your feelings are, what you're interested in, what they can help you with. And don't be afraid to stand up and say, I don't know how to do this. I think that's the biggest downfall is people want to learn and to figure it out on their own. But if you don't ask, then you're never gonna know. And so I love to overlap with my supervisor when they did sessions. And not just in the speech world, I would go and overlap OT when my clients were in there, just so I had a better idea of overall what my child needs and what my you know, student needs to, to progress. Um, when I was in the school district, I would go and observe them in the classroom and I would connect with their behavioral therapist. I would connect with their teacher. Um, And that's the same with the SLPA and the SLP supervision. You just need to make a connection with each other and, and feel that respect and that trust.
0: I love those suggestions. I really like the fact that you said when, you know, you're first deciding on that working relationship to lay out like what your expectations are, make sure you're asking a lot of questions. I think that's a really, really good suggestion. So
1: thank you. You're welcome. And I also feel that the SLP sometimes I think is nervous because maybe they've never had a slipper, so they don't know how to have that relationship. It's different when you're an SLP with with an SLP student or grad student, because you know that they're going through the same classes, but maybe you don't know what our background is and what classes we've taken and and things like that. So having that in when you first get hired, I think will also lessen the anxiety of that, that SLP. And I think they will be more open to giving you more things to do.
0: That's a really good point. Great job. So what are your goals as a SLIPA and providing innovative therapy?
1: This is my favorite part. I love therapy. I think I always wanted to work with children since I was little. I was a preschool teacher. I did swim lessons. And when I was in swim lessons, um, my sister is in the behavioral background. So she's a BCBA. And that's actually who helped me get hired at my first company. So she used to send me kids with really impacted Severities that didn't know wasn't allowed to go swimming at the classes because of their behaviors And so I just knew that you have to figure out How they learn and growing up with a learning disability. My brain didn't work the same way as everyone else I didn't see the world as everyone else sees it. Um, I'm an out-of-the-box thinker. I had to teach myself how to learn um, Strategies I can remember growing up and I had a math teacher tell me that I got the answer wrong just because I didn't follow his formula And so that's just kind of how I think our kids in our field, that's how they learn. They don't learn the traditional way. So we can't pigeonhole ourselves. And if you want your therapy to be innovated, you have to have fun. You have to think, okay, what is my child going to get out of this therapy? But also, how am I going to engage them? You have to figure out in the beginning, okay, these are the goals, but what can I do to scaffold it, modify it, accommodate whatever they need and make it fun. So make it theme-based. I love to dress up. I had a girls group and I, we used to dress up as um, Elsa and princesses. I had a boys group and we did Ninja Turtles. Each month I would do a different theme. And so my entire, no matter what level of my child I'm working with, I did the same activities and I just either modified it or changed it depending on their level. But I wanted them to feel part of it. What are they going to see in the real world? And how can I get it so that they can carry this over into their daily life and not just in therapy? Because we all know that a lot of the times they might do more in therapy than they do back at home or in a different therapy session. So I just, I feel that you have to sit down and you have to go on Instagram. You have to, now Instagram, that Instagram's that thing, um, I remember going on just Google and Pinterest was just starting out. So you, I just feel like we have such a wealth of knowledge with everyone in our in our world. I'm also following a lot of special ed teachers. That is a really great learning technique that you can do so that you can see what they are doing in their classrooms because a lot of the times our children are able to do our lessons Say we make a whole 4th of July lesson in our speech room, but then they can't carry it over into their classroom. So if you go and see how it's set up in a classroom setting and do it within your therapy room, then hopefully what can happen is that child sees it and sees how it's presented and then can carry it over and utilize the language, the vocabulary, the concept, the following directions, not only in your environment, but also at home, in their school, maybe you know, in a different group that they're in.
0: I love all of those points. And I think I love your suggestion about getting dressed up. I, that sounds really fun. Remind me, you said that you do work in a school setting.
1: Yeah. So I took a little break. I had some stuff with my family going on the last couple months, but I was in a private practice for over nine years, um, with zero to three, all the way up to adults. I just had an adult because one of our coworkers, child or I guess adult needed some therapy. And then I was just in a a non-public school, um, elementary all the way up to 12th grade.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that's where you would do the groups in both settings or just the school setting?
1: No, in both settings. So in the school setting, I did a lot of group therapy. Um, that's just how the model was because we had so many kids on my caseload. I would just do four at a time or two. It just depended on what that, those children needed. I was also in a to severe classroom, seeing clients. Yeah, so it just depended. My small groups I would do were more in the private clinic setting. So I also was in a private clinic in the afternoon when I was at the school for this last job I was at. And I had um, four groups I was running plus a peers program. So it just each and all different levels of ages. So it just depended on what those children needed. And then I would kind of think about how can I make it fun and creative and use their imaginations. And i w- it's also about using multi So not just paper and not just your verbal. A lot of kids don't learn through auditory information. That's where a lot of their difficulties come from. So if you can get them moving around, I create obstacle courses. I have them create stuff for lunches and for snacks and we create food and we do Play-Doh and we make slime and everything has a reason and a rhyme to it and it's not just we're playing in it and we might just play just for natural acquisition of language but it's also okay why am i having them put their their hands in in shaving cream and then i put sprinkles in shaving cream and their target cards in shaving cream and and different things that they're learning and it's just sometimes you just have to think on your feet and be flexible and if it doesn't work it doesn't work and then you change it right then and sometimes the best therapy is the the biggest mistakes that you made, but it turns out to be the best kind of idea or lesson that you've ever created. So just don't pigeonhole yourself and don't get hard on yourself. And cause those, those kids and those parents can feel it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's really great advice. So for any slippers who are listening, what would you like to say to them?
1: that you can do it, that you have. just have confidence. If you don't, like I said, don't know how to use an AAC device or make materials or know what the SLP is talking about with different vernaculars, go look it up. There's no harm in not knowing. I'm a big component of never stop learning. I mean, I have a big full background of education because I kept going on and on, which is really interesting growing up. I never thought I would make it this far, um, education was very difficult for me, even though I was a perfectionist. I wanted straight A's. It never materialized as much as I wanted. But knowing that there are a lot of things, websites, there's professional development that you can go to, and there are a lot yes, geared towards SLPs and you can't attend, but there's a lot that SLPs can go to. And I feel like that will give you the confidence to feel that you can do the therapy no matter if you, you have your master's or you don't, because some, you know, some SELPAs don't even need to have their bachelors. So I feel like they feel that they're lesser than others, but they're not. As long as you give yourself the credit that you deserve, that you went your, you went through the SELPA program, that you are smart enough, and maybe you have the eye for just seeing a child and knowing what they want. And you just have to give every therapy session 110%. Not saying that there's days that I sat there on the carpet crying because it was difficult or the kid didn't make progress or they regressed or I had a hard parent or a hard conversation with my SLP and I've been through everything. So, you know, it's going to happen. But knowing that you can pick yourself back up and each child, you can go back into the therapy room and know that you'll change their life or maybe that day you got to hear the first sound. It's just amazing what our field can provide to us and what opportunities we get to be a, a part of.
0: Oh, I love that so much. Very well said. Thank you. So let's head into our game. I have my wheel of questions in front of me. So I'm going to spin it and we'll do okay. like four questions just to get to know you a little bit better. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Let's see. Okay. This one always comes up. I must not spin it hard enough. <laughs> it's something you dislike. And I can always come back to it afterwards, too.
1: I mean, to be honest with you, I paperwork, taking notes. I'm really good at taking notes. I think I take too much notes to really be honest with you. And I think it kicks me in the foot sometimes because I feel like, why am I writing all this down? I'm I'm at the point now, since I've been in the world for 10 years, that sometimes when I'm in therapy I don't have to take as much notes or notes at all until the end. I can for some reason my brain just remembers everything. So I think that's maybe one thing that I dislike. And to be honest, I'm gonna be open, I dislike the, slip, the SLPs that only see the A at the end of my name and don't see me as a person. Because I feel like sometimes, no matter it's in our field or anywhere you go, I feel that some people just get stuck on that and get stuck on this is only what you can do and they don't get to know the person behind the, the four digits or the four letters. And so that sometimes I feel that I, I prove them wrong and that's okay, but I don't want to sometimes always have to go in proving myself if that makes sense.
0: No, it totally makes sense. And I think it's a really important point that you brought up. So thank you for telling us that. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's see what <laughs> let's else
1: see do we... next. Okay. Somewhere you've traveled. So I don't get to travel that much. So I've only been to like out of the country twice or three times. I've been to Mexico, but my favorite place that I've been to is Israel. Oh,
0: that's awesome. I'm supposed to go there in December, so we'll have to talk about it.
1: Yes, you're going to love it. It's going to be a little cold in December, but it's better than when I went in the summer. But you're going to – it's yeah, we'll talk, and I'll tell you places to go. Okay, perfect. Did you go with a group, or did you go with, like, your family? So I went with a group. Um, I went with Birthright, which is a free trip when I was 21. And then I went a second time when I coached soccer for a Jewish junior Olympic program, So both trips were free, which was awesome, but they're organized and so it's good, but it was so, if you're going an organized trip, this is how it is. You have everything, you know, lined out. You have to wake up super early and you don't, you know, I, the next time I go, I want to go where I have the freedom to stay with some friends I have out there and not have to feel that I'm always have to be on. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, I've heard like mixed things, but I've definitely heard that about going with groups that, you know, I think that's traveling with groups in general. Like even if you go on a cruise, everything's very timely and you have to be on the same schedule
1: as everybody else. Yes, but you're going to love it. And it's no matter what religion you are, it is just an unbelievable trip. And I feel like everyone gets something out of it. If you're open, it's so beautiful. The big question people ask me, did I feel safe? I always felt safe, to be honest. And it's just part of our history, and to get to see it and walk it and touch it is is an amazing vacation, an amazing trip.
0: Absolutely. All right, you kind of talked about this, but what do you do to exercise?
1: <laughs> um, so I, I'm glad I'm on this the makeover, the comp, you know, with you guys because I used to wake up early and try to work out like 6 a.m. I'm an early riser, so I'm up already. Um, my last job that I just left, I was out the door by seven, didn't get home until seven or eight. So I kind of got off my workout routine. Now that I'm kind of helping my family and, and searching, you know, out another position that I have, and I have one I'll tell you a little bit about. So I love to do hot yoga. Not sure if you ever done that before.
0: I have. I'm not, not very good at it. I like don't handle the heat very well, which is so odd because I live in Florida, but I love yoga. I just thought I was going to die when I did hot yoga, but (laughs) I would give it another shot.
1: No. And you know, the, the different hot yogas, I feel like at different places, they run the heat different ways sometimes. So there's definitely times where I got in there and I haven't gone for a while. And I do feel like uh, my eyes are starting to blur over and I'm like going to pass out. And I don't want to be that person. Like there are people that just like lay down and I'm like, and I'm very competitive. So I'm like, I can't be that person. And, but yoga, I love hot yoga. I love yoga. And trying to be more mindful. That's why I'm glad I got trained in mindfulness, but I'm still competitive. Like I want to like beat you in the pose. I like look over and someone's doing a handstand. I know for a while I can't do a handstand, but there's part of me that feels like I should, even though the whole point of yoga is to like be in the moment and breathe and not think of anything else. So I'm working on that. That is part of my makeover myself is letting go. I love to do beach walks and beach runs or go on hikes. I love to be in nature.
0: Well, and you have some great places to do all of that
1: around yes. you. Yes.
0: All right. Let's see something you listen to. <laughs>
1: well, I definitely listen um, to your podcast. I just got into podcasts, which is interesting. I was more just listening to music and things like that. So I'm trying to, you know, like I said, have a wealth of knowledge of people in my field or fields that are, you know, close to what I'm doing. Because i worked with the peers UCLA program when I was doing those groups, a lot of my kids have psychological issues or mental things like emotional disturbance, ODD, schizophrenia, bipolar, attempted suicide, So now I'm listening to some psychologists that are getting, you know, are talking about anxiety and panic and trauma. And then my guilty pleasure is I just got into crime podcasts. So that is like my big thing. I love crime shows. So now when I'm on walks, that's what I listen to.
0: Yeah, that's great. I, I'm the same. I, that's my guilty pleasure too. So if people want to learn more about you or connect with you, where can they find you?
1: So I just have my um, Instagram. It is not public yet. I haven't decided quite yet if I'm going to do that. I'm also in the works of creating a Sillipa podcast. Um, So that's kind of my, you know, next kind of big thing is getting into that kind of world of, you know, going down, maybe doing teachers pay teachers. I'm not sure yet. I've mean, I've done all those materials and I kicked myself like eight, nine years ago when none of these resources were here, where you had to just make them on your own. Um, I didn't save anything. So hopefully, you know, in a couple months, I'm thinking of doing a podcast called Up After Hours, which will have myself and another SLP, um, that I work with talking about kind of the ins and outs of our world that, you know, the stuff that we don't want to talk about, but like funny things that happen with clients and parents and things that parent, you know, we do and how to get people involved, things like that. So you can find me on my Instagram uh, at mindful speechy. If you, you know, and I'm trying to build up that and post more. I just haven't transferred over like a lot of the Instagrammers and the bloggers have about posting more stuff that they make or their therapy quite yet.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll be looking forward to hearing your podcast. I think that sounds like I love the name and I think it's a great idea. So yeah, that's going to be great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure getting to know more about the role of slippers, and I can't wait to hear more about your journey. Yes. Thank you so much.
1: I so appreciate you having me on as well. All right. Until next time. All right. Bye.
0: Did something in this episode really resonate with you? Want to know what other SLPs thought about it too? While you might feel isolated in your work setting, every week you're tuning in with thousands of other SLPs. Crazy, right? You can connect with some of these other SLPs on the private Speechy Side Up pod Facebook group so you don't have to feel like you're doing this alone. We just ask that you leave a positive review before you request to join. This helps to spread the word and get more interviews with experts in our field. Thank you for listening and I hope to see you on Facebook.